And welcome to the Hand in Hand Show, a part of Stroke Focus. Today we're going to be talking to Paul Cohen. He had a stroke at the age of 26. He had a financial career at Goldman Sachs. And after that, he felt kind of like he needed to prove to himself and the world that he was still intelligent and capable of success in spite of his stroke recovery and ongoing heart disease. So, From the age of 26 to 30, he obtained five additional degrees in a four-year period, simultaneously obtaining a bachelor's, master's, and doctorate from Columbia University School of Nursing, as well as an MBA in healthcare management and an MS finance from Northeastern University. And today, he's a certified nurse practitioner in adult gerontology with a subspecialty in palliative care. And his writings on end-of-life care have been published in academic journals. Columbia named him one of nine great graduates of their entire university of 2016 upon completion of his doctorate. So right there, I'm going to stop because there is so much. Paul, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much for having me. There is one thing that I talked about right in the beginning that I think is really important for stroke survivors because we do feel like we need to prove ourselves, that we have not lost intelligence. I hear so often stroke survivors talk about they they feel stupid. They don't feel intelligent. They work on trying to prove themselves, which you really went back to prove that you were still really intelligent and could do all of this. Yes, I tried tried my best, yeah. Did you really feel you needed to prove yourself? Yeah, um, well, mainly mainly to myself, and then the degrees were just a good way to show others (laughs) as well. Um, I I actually, the stroke was at the age of 22, a week after I graduated uh, undergrad. The reason that I think the bio reads that way is because I I did leave on disability at the age of 26, um, and I can share that that story uh, because it was sort of a a little bit of an up-and-down recovery. So at the age of 22, I had a left thalamic stroke in the left thalamus, or the left side of the brain, and that's, that's the part of the brain that connects a lot of, kind of like the relay station that connects a lot of other parts of the brain. And uh, I had a embolytic stroke, a, a clot that was in that, in that section of the brain. And um, after the recovery, uh, my deficits were in speech, so I had um, pretty mild, moderate to severe aphasia, and then right-sided weakness, and then also some memory um, loss, difficulty uh, recalling memories. And uh, ironically enough, I had had a job at a job offer at Goldman Sachs. Uh, so right before I graduated college, I was extended a job offer at, at Goldman. And then a week after I graduated, I had a stroke. So I didn't tell them that I had had a stroke. I was in uh, the hospital and, and rehab for about a month. And then I moved from, from Boston to New York City to have this job at Goldman. Um, still with severe aphasia and 
long-term memory loss. But my job consisted of, of derivatives, so a lot of math and, and computer processing. And so I didn't need to speak that much. And so everyone just thought I was, I was shy. So I was able to successfully keep that job, you know, even during the, the Great Recession of, of 2008 and um, was, was actually very successful. Um, so I, and I would just listen to the radio while I was processing the derivative and try to learn all the words again and, and regain my memories and um, lived with a wonderful friend from, from college uh, named Vin, and um, he really helped, you know, at night with a lot of my memories, and uh, my parents were, were very supportive, and, and two calling on the phone all the time from Massachusetts and telling me, reminding me where I worked and, and sending, you know, all these pictures and memories so that I could sort of remember who I was. So, you know, you don't get always get a, a second shot, you know, at a career or certainly to start your career. I had a stroke at a at what at the time was I thought was you know the worst possible time right after the week after you graduate college and you have your whole life ahead of you and then something like that happens. Um, but um, you know it ended up um, you know bringing me a lot closer to to the people that I care about and also my my family. Uh, so I recovered, you know, at Goldman and. Ultimately, more words came back and more memories came back. And my aphasia was really with recall. So um, each word, once I relearned it, when it came back, I would then know it. So, you know, hello was like the first one you learned. And then, you know, slowly but surely the rest of them sort of trickled in. And, you know, what happened to me was about five or six months into the stroke recovery, you know, it was Christmas time because I had the stroke in July. And it was Christmas time, and then all of those words, like mittens and gloves, and snowman, you know, all of the words that, that you hear in wintertime, um, I had trouble recalling those. And so I got in this pattern um, in my own mind of recovering, but then, you know, feeling like everything was okay, and then maybe a new season would happen, or I'd see an old friend um, who maybe I felt like I should know, but couldn't really remember everything of those memories. And so this pattern happened of I thought I was capable and I thought I was intelligent. And then something would happen where I was like, oh, no, that's the stroke and, it, and it's coming back again. And, you know, and I, I and, and that pattern of thinking that you're capable and then being like, oh, no, I can't do that. You know, that back and forth really stuck with me. And as my brain sort of reshaped uh, and rewired itself over the, the four years that I was at Goldman Sachs, I ended up developing what are called tonic-clonic spasms, which is uh, in the rewiring, there, there was, um, there's a certain set of circumstances, one with rapid eye movement and two with a lot of time at the computer screen, where I would get sort of tonic-clonic state, which is the right side of the body just tenses into like a, a claw, like a real tight, rigid thing, and I would, you know, pretty much fall on the, on the ground. Uh, so after a few times of that at work, you know, they, they said, you know, you can't, you can't work here anymore. Uh, and um, so I, I went out on disability and, and, you know, to have recovered to a point where I was okay and then to have this one little remnant of a thing that happens, it, it's actually never happened since. And then now the seven years since I've been, I've been out of work, uh, I've been out of that job at, at, at Wall Street, it just really happened there for, for reasons that I still don't know, understand fully. But it, it happened there, you know, repeatedly. And so, you know, to recover and then think you're better, but then get sent out on, you know, long-term disability uh, after you've spent four years trying to recover from a stroke, I think, um, for me, was kind of the real – I had been driven in the sense that I tried really hard to recover while I was, you know, in those four years. 
but then once sort of I was on, on disability, I just, you know, I, I didn't want to feel that way any, anymore with the, the, the way of incapable or less than or, you know, any of these feelings that you, that you feel when your brain is not, not, not what you think it should be. And so I went back to school and um, I thought if I was going to go to school, I'd, I'd, I'd go all in and I did. And um, yes, yeah, so I, I got those, those five degrees in, 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 that, in that short period of time. And as I did it, you know, it really required my, my brain to uh, make connections in, in a way that, like, very rapidly just because I was doing all of that, you know, at the same time. So it ended up, I learned a lot about how I learn and also how my brain is rewired and, and what works for me through that education environment. And I, and I learned that now I'm an auditory, you know, learner where I taking notes doesn't really help very much for me. But if I just listen to something once, you know, then it would be, it's pretty much ingrained. So certain parts of my brain, I think um, I've had a lot of cognitive testing and, you know, certain parts are actually better um, than I think they probably were before. And some parts are, you know, perhaps the same or not as good. I, I don't know. I, I function pretty well um, now and I've just tried to focus on, on being better. So that's my, the stroke recovery story. And now, yeah, those episodes haven't happened in six or seven years with the shaking and the, and the rigid state. Yeah, so that, I've just been, um, that's my recovery. You also, though, have something called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Yes, yeah, so that's what caused the stroke, they think. So I have an ICD implant or a pacemaker implanted. Um, but um, So they can't do an MRI because uh, of that you know, device. So they were never able to really um, figure out the precise cause. Though so on the CAT scan, they could see the... Um, the lacunar area or the, the stroke area in the thalamus, but they, they were never able to do the MRI. So, yeah, so I was born with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. That's a disease where the wall between the ventricles is too thick, uh, and I've had that since birth. Um, and so at age 10, I wasn't, wasn't able to play sports anymore, and, and so I started singing. You know, you just try to, try to do it, what you can with what you, what you <laughs> got. So sports no more, and then I, then I started singing. And then when I was 15, they put this ICD pacemaker in, I had some complications with that too. It got infected, and you know there was there was some, some difficulty there. But then recovered and had a normal college experience, and then the stroke. So yeah, so I continued to live with this congenital uh, heart disease. Take a, uh, medicine every day and have the ICD there if something goes wrong. Though that hasn't been needed in 17 years now. I've had it, and it still hasn't needed to, to deliver a shock uh, therapy. But I'm um, just at, at real high risk for it, so they uh, they have it in there as a precaution. So. You've kind of mentioned some of the challenges as you were growing up, not being able to play sports, but finding other things that you could be good at. And then when you had your stroke, you talked about aphasia, relearning words, and that you learn by hearing things, by listening, I guess, when you say auditory. Were there any other challenges that you can think of? Anything else that you overcame during all of this? Yes, I think the most difficult one and one that people don't talk about too much because it's easy to say oh I limp and now you know that's a very tangible thing to go to physical therapy and try to make the limp better but the sense of self or the identity of who who I am um, when that's the mind really is who, who you are uh, it's like the core of, of what someone thinks of themselves so you know I had a heart disease my whole life but when the mind you know kind of takes a, a hit or uh, you think that your mind is not what it should be it really Almost, uh, it sort of rattles your your actual identity um, and and how you believe um, yourself, and and so the challenge of 
of um, trying to find, I mean, I was in my early 20s, so that's a time when people are trying to find their, their identity anyway, right? So um, oh, trying, to, absolutely. Yeah. trying to do that, I think, um, but with that context of the, of the stroke was a, was a real challenge um, for me. And then also feelings, you know, knowing that I should feel a certain way, but not being able to process that, that feeling you know, re-experiencing all those feelings for the same time knew were, were overwhelming sometimes. You know, I would see a, a Broadway show. I live in New York City, so I just remember going to see Broadway shows because it was a good way that I could feel a lot of things at once, both visually, auditory, you know, music-wise, you know, have all the parts of the brain firing. I, but it was challenging in the sense that was was exhausting to mm-hmm. um, sort of re, relearn a lot of all of those, uh, to have all parts of those brains sort of make those new new connections. And then sort of re kind of define yourself, remember who you were, but also remember who you want to be and sort of take the, I tried to take the best parts of myself um, and keep them and then get rid of the parts I didn't like. I thought it was a good opportunity to, uh, to kind of have a new shot at doing that. So that, that was. I tell stroke survivors all the time, this is the time to reinvent yourself. Yes. What better time could there be to say, I need a different job. I need to, you know, go to school. I need to take up a new hobby. Whatever it is, this is a time to do that. Maybe not for everybody. Maybe people don't think that, but I do. Yeah, and, me too. And, and another, another challenge I, I, I was thinking of, too, is that a lot of the times people, uh, and it's no one's fault, but, you know, when you first have it, like, everyone just comes, you know, to, you know, to love you and show you their support, you know, mm-hmm. but two years later, you know, it's still, it's still be a struggle in a lot of ways. And so that I think, um, trying to, and that's why I think things like this, and I'm, you know, I'm honored to be on this, on this show. I think it's just nice to have a community of people that, that recognize that this is a lot, this is something that happens and then affects your entire life. It isn't just something that you, you know, recover from, uh, right. and just, you know, all, all better and, you know, never talk about it again. Right. A lot of us, look good afterwards Mm -hmm. well I quit telling people that oh my leg hurts today or you know whatever it is my brain isn't working today whatever is going on because they really don't want to hear that they're just seven years later why aren't you fine you know why are you you know so at some point I've like quit telling people that (laughs) I have a stroke tell us about inspiring Yes, yeah. So I met I met two people in nursing school that that changed my life. The first was my wife. Uh, uh, so we're expecting our first baby in four weeks. So that's exciting. Oh, yeah. Uh, very exciting. Yeah. And uh, the second, um, it was an accelerated bachelor's program for for individuals who already have a bachelor's in in something else but want to go back to school to be a nurse. Um, and so it was a that was it was that kind of program. So my wife was a a lab tech, and then now now we're both nurse practitioners. But the second individual that I that I met is a good friend named Mike Wong, and uh, he was my study partner, you know, during school. But a couple of years after we graduated, actually, my career took me to New York Presbyterian Hospital, where I managed a team of data analysts and, and led analytics um, there. Um, but what I but but Mike went to the bedside um, in the cardiac. Um, step-down unit at New York Sharon Hospital. And so a lot of, uh, I was seeing a lot of the hospital um, issues and ways to improve from the analytic side and the administrative side, and he was seeing them from, from the, the real clinical uh, bedside. And he, and he called me up and he, he said, I have an idea. And um, 
you know, can you meet me in, in a Starbucks and, you know, talk about it. So we did. And, and the idea was to put one device on the wall uh, that would basically analyze both the physical and digital environment of the, the hospital room. So we, we were not hardware experts. So we had to, you know, email a lot of people to try to get them to talk to us and a lot of college professors and ultimately ended up with a with some wonderful development partners and raised some, some funds from angel investors to get it off the ground. And now it's, you know, an award-winning um, healthcare technology company. It was just named Artificial Intelligence um, and Machine Learning Solution of the Year by uh, South by Southwest. The American Nurses Association named it Invention of the Year. So uh, the device is really um, at its core, though it has all this great technology that knows what medical devices are in the room and what individuals come and come in and out, whether they're staff or families or loved ones or patients on how long they stay. And that at its central premise is really to try and put patients and the care team on um, on equal footing, if you will, and recognize that, you know, we're all human beings. The inspiring is, Ren is the Chinese word for altruism. And so inspiring means to inspire Ren or the altruistic force that, that dwells within us, within us all. So that the company is a technology company, but really deeply rooted in the philosophy of bringing, uh, focusing more on the interactions that happen. Uh, and we're allowed, we're having our technology focus on these, these interactions to create meaningful interactions in the hospital environment um, to, to aid the healing process uh, because a lot of it is more and more transactional and dependent on charting. And uh, this, this technology sort of automates a lot of the charting and data capture so that the clinician is freed up to spend, you know, more time with the patient. The reason I became a nurse um, was because the nurses, they, I felt in my own recovery, was the role that was able to heal the physical and emotional aspects of my recovery. And, um, you know, just too often other forces pull the clinical team away from that premise of really care, health care, caring. Uh, so um, that the technology is just designed to um, to bring sort of bring that back in a, in a very sophisticated way. I do have to ask you just real quickly, did you start school to be a nurse or did you, were you specifically going to be a nurse practitioner? Yeah, so I, I just kind of was going to see how it could go. To be honest, at that point, I wasn't sure. I didn't get that far because it was a program of a bachelor's and then you finished. If you wanted to keep going, you could get the master's. If you wanted to keep going, you could get the doctorate. And at the time, I um, I was very unsure, really, of my capability, as we had discussed before. And so I I don't know if I ever let my mind go that far. I, I planned on it. I would write it down every night, you know, um, all the initials after my name that I thought I could get if I continued the whole way. But to be honest, I would have been happy just, um, you know, <laughs> I didn't need all five to be happy. I just was 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 was, was glad to um, to be able to to be capable enough to, to to do any of them. So at this point, what do you think your biggest challenge is now? I think the biggest challenge is to just enjoy my life. Actually, I, you know, that's why I mentioned that I'm. Um, because, you know, you, you go through that and you're in survival mode and you're in, you know, a fight mode for, for so many years with um, the stroke recovery. And then I sort of took that and sort of parlayed it into, you know, that same drive into these educations. And then one day they were all kind of done and I was getting names, you know, Dr. Paul Coyne and walking across the stage. And I, I, I can just remember thinking like, oh, you know, what, 
you know, not now what, but, you know, it was this great sense of, um, of accomplishment and pride, but also the sense of, well, you know, th- my identity is this battle or this, um, my, my identity to myself is this battle or this overcoming the odds or however I was getting fuel for, um, my success. And then sort of now trying to say, well, uh, I've done it and, um, still, still be driven. It's just finding new ways to be driven. Like now with, with my, my son coming, I'm going to be driven to make a good life for him or, or to make my wife happy. Um, but it's a far more peaceful, I think, existence and drive, uh, rather than that real, um, hunger that comes from, you know, not, not being able to talk or, or, um, or, or, yeah, not being able to talk or really having problems with your, with your memory. So, um, my biggest challenge, you know, now is I think just to, to learn that there's been a purpose for what I've, what I've gone through and I've learned a lot from it, but that, that, that period of my life is, is over and that there's what I've, what I hoped for, uh, is, is here. Right. Um, so that, that's a, but that's a just, a, I mean, 10 years of real, uh, struggle is, um, is tough to, tough to reshape the mind to, to relax a little. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's true too. So, um, back to inspiring, um, how is this different from anything else that's available now? Is there, are there other products like this or are you guys it? Yeah, so we're, we're, we're kind of it. I mean, it, we, we, uh, there's, there's RTLS companies, which is a real time location services company, but very, they, they only basically know where someone is, um, in real time. Um, but it's very difficult for them to get the data capture of how long someone has stayed in a room or whether they had medical equipment with them in the room or how long they're in faster answering call bells. So things like that. I, we're, 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 we're pretty much the first to sort of encompass the hardware, the software and the analytics and also these wide variety of use cases of combining the physical human and the computer in, in this way. Okay. So I have a question here about is it Sunseal or Sunseal? Yeah, Sunseal, I think, is how they pronounce Sunseal. it, yeah. So what is this? Yeah, so uh, Rebecca Love, she was the first nurse ever to be uh, featured on TED, uh, uh, to, to give a TED Talk. And um, <clears throat> she started this with some other um, nurse nurse leaders, Um Co- uh, founded this this society of, of nurse innovators, entrepreneurs, scientists, and leaders. And Santiago is really to leverage the trust that nurses have earned to change healthcare. So nurses are always described as trusting; they're all the, the most trusted profession, and you know, and every poll is always nurses. But caring, another term, but innovative or innovator or entrepreneur. Uh, isn't isn't really the first word that pops into people's minds when they hear a, of a nurse, but um, we we think it should be. And nurses are very innovative and and entrepreneur entrepreneurial, um, just in their day to day practice at the at the bedside or in any other field of, that nurses um, go into. And so this this society is really to leverage the trust, but also to acknowledge the the innovative spirit and and partner with. Um, write articles, partner with some of the large companies in the United States to really have nurses drive 
innovation because sometimes they're not at the table um, and they should be because they're the ones that really are the closest to the patient. I've worked in the medical field for years. Nurses are an integral part of healing. They do come up with things sometimes that even the doctors sometimes don't think of, and they're with the patient a lot more. So even just on you know that basis, they deserve to be recognized. You're also writing a book. Yes, yes. So there was. Uh, it's, it's coming out in August. I think August or September. Uh, so seven of the of uh, Rebecca Love being one of them. Um, Bonnie Clipper, who's the uh, former. She just uh, took a new position, but she was the the first vice president of innovation at the American Nurses Association. She and and myself and Mike and 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 some others. Um, are writing a book uh, called The Nurse's Guide to Innovation. And really, I mean, it's, it's directly for nurses, but really anyone could, could leverage the tool. It's, it's, a, it's sort of a how-to guide on how to think about innovation and how to become an entrepreneur, how to launch a business, but really from the, the standpoint of a clinician that maybe doesn't think that that's something that they could, that they could do. We want to show them that they, they could do it. Cool. So this will be out in August? August. I think it's August or September. Whenever the publisher, August or September, we're hoping for. Okay. But it's all done. It's in the it's in the final round of edits. What is the name of the book? Uh, it's called The Nurse's Guide to Innovation. Okay. All right. Your company, Inspiron, actually has had some cool awards. Oh uh, yeah. So we've got like the Edison Award. SXSW Interactive Innovation Award, Webby Awards, American Nurses Association uh, for Innovation of the Year, Fast Company, which I think Linda Tischler uh, Design Award, you got Becker's Hospital Review Rising Star in 2018, and and on and on it goes. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Yeah, usually my mom's the only one that rattles them off like that. So thank you, <laughs> thank you very much. We're very, um, I'm very, very lucky, and I and I don't, um, you know, I, I was, I had a very difficult recovery, but my my stroke was just was in a place where, and I know a lot of your listeners are are stroke survivors themselves, and every stroke is different too, and I think that's something that a lot of times people people forget um, that just like no two people are the same, no two brains are the same, and then no right. two strokes are the same well, with those with those people. And so, you know, I there's a lot of things that I'm still not very good at. And, you know, it sounds it's wonderful that I have all these awards, um, but a lot of times when I, I've shared the story in the past, you know, some people have said, well, you know, you this is this is just not normal, you know, that, that someone would recover and, and, and do this. And, you know, um, and I recognize that what what I've done, you know, there are far more people that are that are suffering a lot greater than than I was that that couldn't uh, do this. But you know, wherever you are, or wherever I am, you know, you can always improve yourself. And you know, you don't that that's people don't need a the same is true for people that don't have strokes. You know, they they can still improve themselves and and better themselves um, and use what. Use what they use the talents that they have to have a meaningful have a meaningful life, and I think that um, that's all I've really <clears throat> tried to do um, is is to just sort of give give meaning to to my life and 
and uh, to try to be the best that I can be. And I've uh, and I've, I've struggled with that uh, too, you know. And you asked me before about struggling, and you know, you, you, people set this bar. You know, the whole society has a bar of you know, sick, healthy, or you know, rich or poor. You know, these, these bars, and and you know, when you live your, I set this bar on capable or intelligent, and you know, you can always be more capable or more intelligent. There's, it, it never ends, right? And so, mm-hmm. uh, if you if if you live that way, then um, it's very very challenging to be fulfilled uh, because you have to. That analogy, you're you're always either below the bar or above the bar. Uh, and that comparing way of of living, uh, it just didn't didn't work for me. Though I tried, you know, very hard to get a lot of degrees, so I was above the bar, you know. Uh, but it it didn't um, didn't really. After all of that, it 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 didn't it didn't. The better analogy is just to uh, be happy uh, and then you know try and be be better. But this you know either or healthy sick is true. It doesn't work. So, right. you know, I, I do always notice and, and, you know, just want to recognize that, that I hope, you know, that I am very lucky in order to, to, to have get, you know, recovered this way. But, you know, I, I think that that doesn't, that's not what makes it a remarkable or a worthwhile story. I think that the, the lessons learned in the, in the struggle or the lessons learned in overcoming um, are lessons that you don't need you know, five degrees to, to be proud of. Um, it's just, just, I, I was able, I was able to, to get them, but that, that's not the, you know, that's not the, the point, I guess, is what right. I answer. Well, and, and that's true, but what's inspiring is that you did. I talked to a gentleman, he hadn't had a stroke and he was a dentist and he had a brain surgery and that went fine. But then when he had the second one, it did not go fine. So his symptoms that he was left with was uh, one side was paralyzed. The story is that he got home and everything and his wife did everything for him. And then one day she left him. She just said, I'm going out with friends. Hello. Goodbye. You know, see you later. And he's like, well, what am I going to do? You know, I can't, I can't get dressed. And she said, you'll figure it out. And the same thing with breakfast. What am I going to do about breakfast? She said, you'll figure it out, but you know, I'll be back for lunch or whatever it was. And so she came home, his shoes weren't tied, his his shirt was askew, but he did it. And from then on, he took care of himself and then came to a point where he decided he wanted to be a dentist again. And he called his commander because he'd been in the military and they talked about where he could go and get help to, you know, get better. This man was a one-handed dentist, and he said the one thing he said to me was, take the word can't out of your vocabulary and just keep doing it till you get it right. <laughs> so, you know, and, and he did this for years. He flew planes, played golf. He owned planes, he said. And, you know, so he didn't let the stroke stop him. So that's our first thing that both you and I are trying to to tell people is don't let it stop you. We've all had a stroke, and we all may have different disabilities and and different things we can or maybe right now can't do, but we can work towards them. And as you've already proven, you can go back to school and you can get a degree, and whether it's one or five or or (laughs) even if it's just a class, it's okay. 
you're moving on and, and moving forward. And that's what, that's the best thing you can ever do is just don't quit trying. Even if it takes you a year or two years or 10 years to do something, you should be able at some point to do it. Maybe not tomorrow, granted, but at some point. So you just took the bull by the horns and just said, I'm going to go back to school and do this. So Yeah. Is there like a website or something that people could look at your Inspiron? Yeah, yeah, it's www.inspiron.com, I-N-S-P-I-R-E-N. So Inspire with the N at the end is a Nancy, Inspiron.com. And uh, that's the, the website. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn, Paul, Paul Coin or Paul E. Coin, I guess, on Twitter, and then Paul Coin on LinkedIn. Uh, so, yeah, no, happy to, um, you know, be in touch with, with anyone who has, you know, any, any, any questions. I, I'm just trying to, you know, share the story so that, um, you know, hopefully other people um, get, get something out of it. And, um, yeah. you know, we're just uh, we're, all, we're all in it, in it together and all you know, together. So is there a website or a Facebook page or something about your book? That, not yet. I don't uh, – not yet. I think that's still um, – I think that's still in the works. Okay. Maybe you'll come back and talk to us again if your book comes out? Absolutely. I'd be honored to. All right. Well, I want to thank Paul for being with us today, and I hope everyone has enjoyed this. I hope it's kind of entertained everyone or educated you, whichever the case may be. And I'll see you on the radio next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hand in Hand Show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to keep the discussion going, please join Stroke Focus, the social media website dedicated to stroke survivors and caregivers. Stroke Focus is S-T-R-O-K-E-F-O-C-U-S. Stroke Focus is a part of Wohala, which in Mandarin means I have survived. If you wish to be a part of the show or would like to be interviewed as part of the show, please contact us at contact at strokefocus.net.